dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only sons into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us, and his love is made perfect in us. This is how we know we remain in him, and he remains in us, because he has given us a measure of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If any of us confess that Jesus is God's Son, God remains in us, and we remain in God. We have known and have believed the love that God has sent, God has for us. God is love, and those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. This is how love has been perfected in us, so that we can have confidence on the judgment day, because we are exactly the same as God in this world, as God is in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. We love because God first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. After all, those who don't love their brothers or sisters whom they have seen can hardly love God whom they have not seen. This commandment we have from him, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. Thanks, Yudai. All right. Before I start to tell this story, um, I'm going to pray real quick to help us get ready. In the Godly Playroom, we, um, we always have to make sure we're ready before we hear one of the stories of God. So I'm going to pray. Lord God, help us to be ready to hear your voice and to see the way that you work, um, the way that you worked in the life of St. Valentine and also the way that you're working in our lives. Um, God, thank you that you are with us in every time and in every place, um, including right now, uh, in all the different places where we are. God, open our hearts and open our ears to hear you this morning. Amen. All right. So this morning, I'm going to share the story of St. Valentine. Um, the church remembers Valentine during, usually during the Great Green Growing Time. Occasionally, the 14th will fall during Lent. And in that case, we would remember St. Valentine during the Purple Time. But it's still green. 
I wonder why we remember St. Valentine. Let's see. Now I'm gonna switch so you can see too. There we go. There was once a man named Valentine who lived in ancient Rome, not in one of the big houses of smooth white marble, but in rooms above a noisy street. He was a doctor. In his rooms, he had many things to heal people, mostly herbs that he picked in the fields outside the city. He used something like this to grind up the herbs so that he could use them for medicine. When people came to see him, sometimes they didn't have money. And so if they couldn't pay him, he would accept something that they had made, perhaps a pair of sandals or some warm bread instead. Not everyone knew that Valentine was also a priest. That had to be kept a secret because in those days it was against the law to be a Christian. Whenever anything bad happened in the city, they would blame the Christians and put them in jail or kill them. Even so, Valentine helped other Christians and was sought out by young Christian couples to perform weddings. This was particularly dangerous because the emperor thought that unmarried men made better soldiers and did not allow young men to marry. So while Valentine practiced medicine in the open, he prayed quietly after closing his door. One day an old man and a little girl came to his home. She could not see. She was the old man's daughter. He took care of the prisoners in the big jail in Rome. Valentine knew it would be hard to cure her because she had been born blind, but he loved to talk to her and he put something cool and wet on her eyes to make them feel better. When the old man wanted to pay Valentine, he said, no, I want to give this to your daughter. At night when he prayed for his patients, he, pr he prayed the most for this little girl. Valentine and the little girl became good friends. Sometimes when her father was busy at the jail, Valentine and the little girl would go to the fields and pick herbs that he used to help people. The little girl loved to pick the first flowers to bloom in Rome after winter, the little crocuses. She gave them to her father. One time Valentine heard a noise outside of his door. He hoped that it was the little girl, but instead there was a terrible crash the Roman soldiers broke into his home and took him away. They had found out that he was a Christian and they took him to the very jail where the little girl's father was the jailer. The old man could hardly believe his eyes when Valentine was brought into the jail. He didn't know what to do. A few days later, the soldiers came to take Valentine away. Before he left, he asked for a pen and some ink and something to write on. The jailer hurried away to find it. When he came back, Valentine wrote something on the piece of paper, 
rolled it up and said, please give this to your little girl. Then he said goodbye, putting a hand on each shoulder and looking the jailer in the eye. The old man watched as he disappeared and knew that he would never see Valentine again. That night when he went home, he gave the rolled up piece of paper to the little girl. He asked, or excuse me, she asked, what does it say, father? Just then, a crocus that had been rolled up in the paper dropped to the ground. The old man read from your Valentine. Oh, there we go. From your Valentine. When the little girl picked up the flower, she was surprised that she could see it. We remember Valentine because he loved so well. Now I wonder what part of Valentine's story you liked best. Maybe it had to do with the flower or the note or him healing. I wonder which part of Valentine's story, oh, do we have someone who wants to share? Anybody? flower. You like the flower? Anyone else want to share? Okay. I wonder what part of the story might be the most important. If anyone wants to unmute and say what they think is the most important, they can. Um, I think maybe the part that when she could see when uh, Valentine, Mr. Valentine like, gave her the flower note. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Anyone else have an idea? How much he loved. Mm -hmm. I wonder what part of the story is for you or might be about you this morning. Um, I, I think maybe that you should love just like Valentine. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot to wonder about about St. Valentine. But I think that Pastor Chris might have a few more wonderings to share with us. Thanks, Pastor Meg. Um, I, I, love, I love these questions and I love the, the stories of Valentine. I think um, looking at these lives of the saints is really important for us because it, it takes seriously there in our context into which God speaks and enters and acts. Like in Jesus, just as in Israel, but also in the lives of the saints, we see that God moves in, in like from the particular, from the, 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 the particular to the universal, from the local to the global, from the small things, to the big things. Um, our faith isn't uh, primarily a philosophy, but it's a way of life and it takes place in people's lives. Uh, we, we don't 
mostly know about Jesus from books or lectures, but from committed lives to Jesus, even unto death. When Jesus was asked about love, do we remember the story from, from Luke's gospel? Uh, when Jesus was asked about eternal life and also about love, what did he do? He, he fired up like a PowerPoint presentation with four bullets about heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? No, no, not at all. He made a story. He made a whole context for God's love to be born in the costly and transgressive love of the Good Samaritan. And I'm sure the priest and the Levite had their reasons for uh, going to the other side of the road. But in his story and in the witness of scripture and the witness of these lives, we see that God is here in ordinary lives in ordinary places. We see that Christ has come and Christ will come again and Christ continues to come over and over. And we see that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh, even our flesh. So hearing these stories about people like Valentine is important. Though Valentine's name is really famous. So many of us know that name, but we don't know the story. And though his life has been commoditized, you can buy plenty of things that say Valentine's on them. His life is like an open secret to most of us. If we're not careful, we can lose the truth and the texture of, of what his story actually means and how challenging it really is for us. We can lose that in favor of like being sentimental being sentimental doesn't cost us much or require a whole lot. It can be what we want it to be. This sounds a little like Jesus's life. But Valentine lived and moved and had his being in third century Rome. And it reminds us that Valentine's Day for all its strange mutations takes place in a real life and ultimately shows us real love shown by a real doctor and real priest amidst a minority third century church in the reign of Claudius II. Always pay attention when the Bible talks about these rulers because it means that God is doing big things even in the little things. First John, what Udai read, tells us that real love comes from intimacy with God. Real love comes from intimacy with God because God is the fountain, the source of all love. They're written around the turn of the first century. These words in the letter of 1 John come really close to Valentine's world. And they, like Valentine, privilege concrete action. John says, dear friends, let us love each other. Because love is from God. Since God is uh, the source of love, God doesn't just love or give love, but God is love. This love is public domain and will not run out. In a time like this that we're all in, a time of distance and scarcity and division and animosity, the idea that God's love is available and inexhaustible is a scandal. Like Jesus, Valentine knew this. He was pressed upon to withdraw and withhold love and instead through healing and through his priestly calling, he shared the outward facing intimacy of God's love 
even at the cost of his life. Jesus showed him the way to do this, to love riskily and at great cost, knowing that it would be a greater risk to not love, to, to not bear witness to the truth. Norman Worsby, one of my professors says, when we do not love, we lose God. When we do not love, we lose God and we forfeit hope of abundant resurrection life. After all, Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. But love is so hard. Love requires sacrifice. And one danger in reading these lives of the saints, heck, the danger in looking at these, this Zoom screen at the lives of these saints is that sometimes we get jealous and sometimes we get intimidated. We get caught in a comparison game. We try to measure up our lives against the lives of others and we lose sight of the goal and the purpose of love. It's important to remember that any sacrifice of love that we make from the, the smallest apology for a minor grievance to the penultimate act of love and martyrdom, none of this happens above or beyond or on top of Christ's sacrifice, but always inside of it. Like I, I picture Jesus's sacrifice and Jesus's love as being this giant bucket that all of our little sacrifices are inside of. Because Jesus suffered, died, and was raised, our suffering and little deaths are in his. And so too is our resurrection and our vindication. So since we're united with Jesus in faith and in baptism, that's what that means, that we're in Jesus, we're also united with him in living lives of sacrifice. This is what Romans 12 reminds us. So when you look at someone else or read about someone else who has answered this call, admiration and honor is a natural impulse, but receive these stories as a gift. Take them as an inspiration because of Jesus. These are our brothers and sisters. These are our ancestors. This is not a hall of fame. This is a family scrapbook. This is our story. So, Aside from today being Valentine's Day, which there's an inordinate amount of pink and red on this call, even antlers for some of us, right? We also, this is also another special day intersecting. It shares the date with the liturgical feast day of the transfiguration. This is a tricky story. If we remember it, it appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and also in Sufjan Stevens. Um, <laughs> We, we remember a little bit of what happens is that Jesus is on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he begins to sparkle. His clothes are like dazzling white and radiant, and he's flanked by Elijah and Moses. A voice comes down, and it recalls the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. This is my son in whom I love. Listen to him. And then everything returns to quote-unquote normal. <laughs> Imagine that after you saw that, after you experienced that, and then everything just returns to normal. 
this is one of those stories that's easy to either dismiss or to fantasize about. Either it didn't happen or it could never happen again. What does it mean? What is going on here? As we finish this epiphany season of revelation and manifestation, it seems in that story like the curtain is being pulled back for just a second. And this is like augmented reality for ancients that is occurring. Make no mistake, friends, the transfiguration isn't just some vision of the past, like with the law and the prophets, Elijah and Moses, or just some vision of the future, like dazzling perfect clothes. But that transfiguration, the punch of that story is that it is a vision of the now, the full now, the even more now, the extraordinary ordinary that is already happening, that is already present when Christ is present with and in us. So we flip back to 1 John. And let me see if I can share uh, a, little, a little part of that 1 John. We flip back to 1 John and we see, this is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him. No one has ever seen God. And if we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. This is how we know we remain in him and he remains in us because he has given us a measure of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. God is revealed in our ordinary love. The ordinary love that we show others in the name of and by the power of Jesus. The ordinary love of just writing someone a note who is lonely. Notes are, of course, Valentine's specialty. The ordinary love of like sticking your neck out on the line for someone, speaking up when, when someone is hurting. The ordinary love of participating in someone else's healing like by physically putting bandages on their body or an ice pack, by bringing them a meal, by lifting them up in prayer, by anticipating their needs. Ordinary love striving towards perfection. When I say perfection, don't think perfectionism. Think full and generous and overflowing, not that you got it right every single time. Love takes practice. Each day we're given so many chances to make visible God's love, to bear witness to a love that is more real and more strong than any empire or power or system or season. I get the image of, a, of visiting a batting cage with this sort of practice. Sorry if it's been a long time, but football season's over, it's baseball season now. You see, this sort of risky love requires practice. You'll swing and you'll miss, and sometimes you'll only swing and miss for a long time. You'll think a fastball's coming and then a curveball buckles your knees and kind of throws you through a loop. Sometimes you'll stand in the batter's box and you'll think, there is no way I could ever hit that. It's coming at like 99 miles an hour. I can't even see it, let alone hit it. But slowly and surely as you keep swinging, You'll foul them off and eventually you'll square it up and make better contact and the pitches keep coming. Every attempt you make 
makes you more able. Practice makes perfect and nothing is wasted. With baseball, so too with our learning how to love and our practicing love. I want to close with a poem by a, a favorite poet of mine, Malcolm Geit. And he, in this, in this sonnet, is answering a question of why St. Valentine should be such an icon for a holiday that's become so based around good but also lesser good forms of romantic love. Why this guy? There's nothing romantic about Valentine's story. Rather, his story is, is like a reminder, uh, a witness, his call towards a similar kind of love that God has shown towards others. I find it really insp inspiring as a vision for the sort of love and intimacy the church, our church could be known for. Uh, share, share this with me. Why should this martyr be the saint of love? A quiet man of unexpected courage, a celibate who celebrated marriage, an aging priest with nothing left to prove. He loved the young and made their plight his cause. He called for fruitfulness, not waste in wars. He fought a sure foundation, stood his ground and gave his life to guard the love he'd found. Why should this martyr be our Valentine? Perhaps because he kept his covenant, perhaps because with prayer still resonant, he pledged the bridegroom's love in holy wine. Perhaps because the echo of his name can kindle love again to living flame. Will you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for showing up over and over again in real life, in real lives like Valentine's and in our lives. Thanks for his inspiring story, the way he loved, the way he um, was part of your healing, the way he was brave. Inspire us, in us, the same sort of love that can only come from you, that is healing and courageous and inexhaustible. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.